Welcome to episode 189 of the Win 6 Podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. How are you doing? Good. I thought there might be something more there, considering. I thought you might have given me something, considering the way the books have played that I could feed into, but good doesn't really transition in any sort of seamless way into how the books have played in the last few days, uh, particularly in their most recent game. It's the Pistons. That certainly wasn't what I would describe as good. No, they were not good. Uh, yeah, they got run over in the Motor City. Um, with that, they've now lost three strike games. They aren't just losing games. They're lost to both the Wizards and the Pistons. Saw them blow a chance at securing tiebreakers against both of those teams, having gone into season series 2-1 up. And you know what? A few days ago, I would have said, yeah, well, you know, the tiebreaker against the Pistons, that doesn't matter. And now I'm kind of like, well, who knows? I just, <laughs> who knows with this team, what's going to matter, what's not going to matter. Certainly not me. It's very much that unpredictable. As a result, the books are currently down into seventh place and now just one game ahead of the Miami Heat. Um, They're only one game out of fifth still where the Pacers, their next opponent, are currently placed. But the gap is opening up just a little to the Wizards in fourth. They're two and a half games ahead. And if we want to widen that to the, the very lofty, ambition of third three and a half games back of the Cleveland Cavaliers right now I mean to to kind of pick up from to pick up from where we were in our last episode the Bucks took their their bad third quarter against the Pelicans and they produced an awful first quarter it actually the the margin between the two teams in that period wasn't as bad as the third against the pelicans but it was definitely worse that was one of the worst quarters of basketball i can remember the books playing for a couple of years at least overall before they got to that pistons game they played pretty well since the all-star break they played really well actually and they just had two bum quarters and it was all about you know can they just get rid of that one quarter in a game and give a consistent effort i wrote about this in my preview for the pistons game key for the books eliminate the one bad quarter the books did that instead decided to throw in three bad quarters and that was the result in detroit on wednesday night are you surprised by what we're seeing the last week obviously these are better teams or teams with something to play for at least compared to some of the recent competition but 
I mean, a lot of what the books have been doing has been positive, and then just like that, they seem capable of self-destructing in a way that we haven't really seen a whole lot of for a while. We're more used to them being kind of consistently bad in spells, not just kind of blowing it all up in any given moment in any given game. Yeah, for some weird reason, as I was writing uh, the takeaways piece from the Pistons game, I had a thought pop in my head, and I even tweeted this out. Um, it seems like, I mean, there's been six losses in the Prunty era, and all of them have either been, like, heartbreaking nail biters, or the bottom falls out completely. Like, there is, hasn't been much of an in-between, um, for whatever reason. Like, the, the Timberwolves game, you lose by 19, but that game was out of hand in the second quarter. You lose, you know, after losing Malcolm Brogdon to injury. Miami was, I, I mean, if you want to classify as like that as like the most normal loss of the Prunty era, that's fine. But even then, they still had a chance to really kind of snag that game really late before losing by six. Uh, obviously, I'm going to miss one game, but the Pelicans, like you said, like that quarter just was disastrous, but they still the had Nuggets another chance. Was the other loss, was Nuggets, it? yeah, they gave up, a, I mean, a historic performance. Like, the, it's just weird how <laughs> this it's just a weird trend to see all these losses like keep happening where they just crap the bed or they, they don't just lose by eight to 10 in a pretty comfortable way where they were never within range or, you know, they yeah. didn't have a big lead already. It's just, it's always like some sort of either really bad moment. It's, it's actually nearly always, even in some of the games that have been close. I mean, they've had big leads and they blew them. The Pelicans game being an example. There's always one moment in a game where they just completely switch off and everything falls apart. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think, again, I would have to comb through. I think the only game that you could say that it didn't apply would be the Nuggets game because he had a very good game in spite of, you know, losing or giving up 100 whatever points it was, 135, 136. I can't really remember. But it shouldn't come as a coincidence that Giannis has looked more ordinary in all the losses uh the bucks have had under Prunty. and i mean when that happens you're kind of playing with one arm tied behind your back and you're asking more of the likes of bledsoe who has been up to the challenge contrary to what people may believe um middleton jabari since he's come back and you know has produced very well since the all-star break especially um yeah it's just a weird an odd trend that you know it's it's not this kind of i don't know it's just it's very it's more it's it's very inconsistent of what we've seen uh since the all-star break i guess putting that raptors game aside well i think i mean the the simplest way of getting into this really is a yanis hasn't just been ordinary in losses he's been by his very high standards and let me make that very clear for anyone who wants to get angry at anything negative being said about Giannis. He's been bad, bad by his standards for a month now. He played really, really well in the immediate aftermath of you know Prunty taking over. He had some really great games. February was one of his worst months in a long time. I remember uh, Frank Madden had to tweet out the stats probably about a week ago now that he was on course for his worst month in terms of his field goal percentage for close to two years. I have no doubt that he achieved that because he finished February in 12 games 
averaging just 22.6 points per game on 47.7 from the field, 25% from deep, uh, 67.9% from the from the free throw line as well, which is comfortably his worst free throw shooting month of the season. 9.8 rebounds, first month of the season where he's averaged less than 10 rebounds. Assists a little bit up, 5.3. Turnovers also up, 3.3 turnovers. Um, the trends have been not great for Giannis. We know, obviously, he's carrying his ongoing knee problem. He seems to be going through the wars in a variety of ways and just proving just how durable he is. Because <laughs> if it's not rolling bowed ankles in the space of a few nights and then getting poked in bowed eyes in one particular game, he just keeps going through all of this and he's back the next night. And I'm at a point now where I'm starting to wonder, maybe should he have just a couple of games off for all of those things? For If we want to call for his knee again, I mean, I, I feel like it's coming to a point where you're not getting the best out of Giannis and the books can't afford not to get the best out of their best player. And particularly when, say, you've got someone like Chris Middleton who's just playing flat out bad at the moment. Like that's two of your three best players, if not your two best players not performing at their best, you're in trouble. And the Bucks are in a really good position in terms of even on a night like that, they've got enough. You know, they've got this roster is really talented. I think sometimes we miss it, and it's because of bad results like this, and everyone wants to panic just about the overall shape of things. Look at how good Jabari has been recently. Look at how good Bledsoe's been recently. So that's even if Giannis isn't quite as best, he's going to be pretty good. Middleton, not as best, is still generally scoring upwards of 15 points. You're doing all this without Brogdon, without even someone like Delvadov on the bench. You know, the books are in a really good spot, but to be at their best and to, to play to a level that's going to secure home court for them, or even get them in a place where they could push the Cavs for third, which... I'm honestly, I'm out on. I think that ship has long sailed and probably was never was never in play to begin with. But fourth is still something that could be real and certainly was something that was very much attainable for them even just three games ago before they started this current losing streak. Do all of that, they need Giannis at his best. They need more from Middleton. But they're finding a way to, over the last couple of weeks, you know, be right there in games and even win games without being at their best. And it's just purely because on an average night, they have more talented players in the opposition. And we touched on this with, say, the Raptors. Like, if we're going to go line up best players against best players, the book's best players are better as a group than what you describe as the equivalent Raptors. The difference is the Raptors are a much better team. And I think in looking at that Pistons game, there were quite a few things that felt apparent to me. And that's one, like, I, I thought Prunty had a bad game in the, the game before that, the Wizards game. I, I thought he made some decisions that I didn't quite agree with. He managed rotations in a way that wasn't all that great for me personally. Against the Pistons, there was nothing I could point at Prunty for because I think he did everything he could. Snell was out, so his hand was forced in some ways. I think he managed things about as well as you'd expect. And, you know, there was just nothing there. Giannis didn't play to the level he had hope. In fact, he had his worst game of the season and he left early then with an injury. Middleton wasn't helping. Jabari struggled relatively and, I mean, struggled very severely on the defensive end, by far his worst defensive game we've seen since his return. It's like, what's Joe Prunty to do in that situation? There was also a mental aspect to it where, 
the Bucks flat out quit on that Pistons game. I don't feel that very often. I really feel like they quit. It should have been the other way around, considering the run the Pistons have been on. They'd lost six of seven heading into that Bucks game. You'd think Bucks got out to a good first quarter, which they did. The Pistons would have gone away. They didn't, though. They wanted everything more. They were going to always beat the Bucks on the boards. You don't have those possessions where it's like Andre Drummond just keeps missing and getting his own rebound. Like that possession where he was literally just going from hitting the ball from one side of the rim to the other like six times. That doesn't happen if you want it more than the opposing team. Whether they're better rebounders or not, you just find a way to get it. You foul them before that, you know? You don't let that happen. On Wednesday night, they were letting that happen. And in thinking about that, you know, that is a trait that's there in the books occasionally. Chris Middleton was back to doing his frustration fouls. I'm just really angry. I'm not bothering getting down court. I'm just going to swing my arms and foul this guy. That is of no use. That is not what the team needs. That is not the example that him as one of the more experienced players should be setting either. I think all of that comes into, you know, maybe we don't talk about it enough, but maybe there are some things ingrained mentally that aren't so great here. I don't think it's necessarily kind of inherent with the players on the roster. I don't think Giannis or Jabari or Bledsoe or even Middleton individually, I don't think any guys like that are not the right character guys aren't motivated in the right way to win but i think they have developed some bad habits over the years and they were jason kidd habits and they're now joe prunty habits maybe there's no difference between those two things and even if i mean even if there is habits will take some time to break and it will take a really strong coach to do it and i mean we're coming back down to earth a little bit but it's becoming very apparent that prunty isn't that guy you know, this is thing gonna make it to the make it to the finals where you go, oh, Prunty has to have the job. No, at the moment you'd have to say it would take a minor miracle to get to any position near that, to get to I mean, maybe they could still win a round, you know. Winning two rounds, that that would take a lot. And with that, it's kind of you know, it's back to something that we talked about a lot at the start of the season, even before the Bledsoe trade which was when this was even less of the case. But one of our refrains was, you know, it's not that this team isn't talented enough. Let's stop talking about they need to do this for talent. They need to do that for talent. I just think there's other ways where they need to work on themselves. And that's not just on the court. That's, you know, in their heads mentally, their their own mental strength and how they approach things. They have physical advantages over a lot of teams. Mentally, though, they're susceptible they're vulnerable you know that you can get at the books it's very simple if if Giannis is struggling and you put the books in a hole I don't know who's coming to help them you know I don't I don't know who's coming to save the day and that's something that just can't be overcome overnight by Joe Pronti by Jason Kidd by any coach but I think a lot of that has been kind of built in over a period of you know three to four years for the books in terms of what this incarnation of the team is. Guys like John Henson. Like, John Henson's having a really good season. He's doing a lot of good things. He started that game against the Pistons great, and then he disappeared. But what about John Henson's career in the NBA so far has taught him not to do that or has proven to him, you know, act this way instead, and this is the result you get? There's been nothing. These guys don't know any better, and they they need that. This isn't... Like it's it's funny because these sort of conversations bring us back a couple of months, right? These are the sort of things that were going on more often, and 
I'd find it to be very similar to Dan in that, you know, there's easy ways out of this that are infuriating and in part for the reason why Jason Kidd got fired. Like the easy way out is just, it's a young team, they're learning, they haven't been through this. Just because those things are true doesn't mean you say them, doesn't mean they're an acceptable excuse. They are facts, but it's on the coaching staff, it's on the players to eventually get to a point where they're like, enough is enough. And we're going to work on it and we're going to keep working on it. And even when it goes wrong, we're going to say, okay, we've done it again. Now we have to make sure it doesn't happen again. And you've got to keep plugging at that. I'm not sure if the books are in that spot at the moment. Maybe I'm being harsh on them. Maybe it's more of a, you know, the Pistons game was having gone to overtime against the Raptors, having gone to overtime against the Pelicans, having gone right down to the final possession against the Wizards. Second night of a back-to-back, having traveled against a team that was off the night before, you know, that, that really might be a schedule loss. But the way they played was lacking in spirit, it was lacking in fight, and it doesn't exactly spell great things for their most important stretch of the schedule, which they're currently in the middle of. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all your points, but I would... I would... I'm more inclined to believe, you know, the latter of what you said, because like you said, you have two straight overtime games, one that could have easily gone back, gone to overtime, had, you know, a shot fallen their way by Giannis. Um, and they just crapped the bed. I mean, even the, I was going to tweet this out cause I was doing tweeting last night. The Pistons weren't even that good aside from, you know, being able to just outstretch all the you could say is fight. they wanted it. They 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 played like they wanted to win. That's the only credit you can give them. I mean, even then, man, like Drummond was really good, but Blake Griffin was not that good. Like Eric Moreland, it was it was basically Drummond, a Moreland, uh, <laughs> Moreland, and a little bit of Reggie Bullock who had a very good start. But even, it was still like there wasn't that oomph. Like they were like at the third quarter, right after after like the beginning of the third quarter, Middleton kind of had like his that own run by himself. And they had it within five. Like it wasn't like the Pistons blew the doors open. It was that the fact that the Bucks just crapped the bed and everything else that in their room. Like it was just awful. Yeah, but I don't I think if the Pistons did the equivalent, I don't think the Bucks could have taken advantage last night. You know, Wednesday night. I don't I don't think that's there for them. I just I think it it takes a certain mindset and the books just weren't ready to play. And if they were ready to play, they decided midway through, with the exception of Eric Bledsoe, because he doesn't deserve to be in that conversation, that they weren't playing. They weren't going to win and just, you know, it is what it is. There were guys forcing it. There were guys taking bad shots. I'm not just talking about Middleton there, although it certainly applies to him. This was something that was evident across the roster. Um, Even guys who've been playing well recently, I mean, Jack didn't make a field goal. Sterling Brown didn't make a field goal until garbage time. Um, Jabari was not great mostly because of the defensive end, but he still shot less than 50% for the field. And that was after a, a really fast start as well. So they, they just weren't getting anything. And I mean, I, I think Henson put down after the game, you know, as oh well, none of our guys could make shots as one of those nights. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That is factually true. But I think it was very easy to decide, say, five minutes into the third quarter, hey, our shots aren't falling. We might as well just let this one go. Like, Prunty pulled the plug with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and he wasn't pulling it too early. From that spell where they got it close again to start the third to then is not a lot of time. And against a team who didn't play that well, they were just completely outwilled. You know, it's not even energy and effort. It's just desire. It's just they quit. It wasn't, 
it wasn't about anything else. I mean, they can be out there, they've been going through the motions, but it's do you want it? Not not about even necessarily trying. It's well, okay, you're trying, you have your hands up, you're looked to contest that, you're half in position for a rebound, but are you pushing yourself that little bit extra? They didn't. And I think it's something that's definitely there. It's in their locker and at a time of the season where they're gonna be tested over and over again. Like I I can't imagine. I could say I can. Um, what I can say is I know the last week has been pretty grueling just to be watching their games, like mentally going through the three games that were close in a short span. That was grueling. So I can't imagine what it's like to play in that. But this is your 82 game season NBA and you've got the Pacers up next and then you've got the Sixers after that and then you've got the Pacers again and you've got the Rockets. I mean, got to get it together. I mean, the season just isn't going to stop for you. So if they decide, well, you know, we're just tired and we can't can't get it going right now. Well, that's fine. You'll drop four games and all of a sudden, you know, everything's caught up with you. You're just one game. If that was to happen four more games from now, they're just one game above 500. Pistons could have a winning run from then. He could have a winning run. And all of a sudden you could be in eighth place and like right there in the battle to sustain the playoffs. Like, They've had a good season. They've done some good things in spite of a lot of challenges. But this is like this is the test of metal. It's like, well, who are the books? I spent most of the year saying they're a good team. And the more I think about that, that is based again on what I said to lead off. Is if you get the books best players and you put them against the best players of other teams in the league, they've got more talent. But more talent doesn't make a good team. You know, uh, talent isn't what's lacking from this team. It's the coherence. It's the collective will. Um, there are things that were very evident when Prunty first took over that I do think have disappeared somewhat, and that is, you know, just the fun and the collective bread of fresh air. They are looking like, and I, I think even take strength to schedule out of this, the moment they're looking like a team who got that kind of, you know, new coach bump, which happens in every sport, and now they're settled back in and they've moved past that. And it's not even all that new because it's a familiar voice they've heard for a long time. And here they are. It's a tough spot. And they've got to they've got to really work at it. And they've got to figure something out to make sure the season doesn't get away from them. Because there is there is real potential for that. I don't I don't personally think the books are gonna miss the playoffs. I don't think they'll be an eight seed. I still think they will. They will figure this out purely because of, again, they are too talented. They've got too many guys who can just get them through games, get them out of certain holes. They can't afford to think like that, though. They can't take it for granted because the gap isn't that large. I know, like, we joked about the Pistons on uh, on the Sunday podcast, and they didn't do a whole lot to inspire you watching them on Wednesday. But, I mean, don't make assumptions. If you're the books, you can't afford to dice with that and say, oh, well... You know, they're out of it. Eight teams are guaranteed to be in. Don't test that theory, you know? Keep looking in front of you. Keep saying, how high can we get rather than going, okay, we're slipping, but it's okay. You don't want to be that team, regardless who is coming into the playoffs with negative momentum. You know, that's the last thing you want. That's why finishing a season strong is important. And what are we at? 61, 61 games, I think. So after the, after the Pacers game, you're talking 20 games to go. You've got to you've got to start thinking. How do we want to hit the ground running in the playoffs? Because that's the time of year we're coming to. Yeah, I I mean I I can't disagree with anything you're saying, but I also think 
as you said before, this we talked about this during the the you know the lowest points of the final chapter of the kid era. Um, this team is just they go on runs. They'll have four straight wins. They'll lose three. They'll have they'll clunk it up. They'll lose you know two or three straight. And it's hard not to be in, it's not it's hard not to be influenced by the fact that you know they are playing playoff caliber teams and will continue to do so from until like I think they play the Grizzlies in on March twelfth. Uh, sorry, actually the Knicks on March ninth. But still, there are, this is as we talked about the other day. This is being battle tested, and right now they've had some heartbreakers and they lost the Pistons. But I don't think. <sighs> it's very easy to get carried away with, you know, being prison of the moment and all that stuff. And that's fine. I, I mean, last night didn't, if you feel worse about the Bucks chances in the playoffs or even making it, if you're that, um, you know, uh, uh, fearful of the, what's left of the season that I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna, I can't just, dis, you know, dissuade you from where you are, but I think at the same time, who knows, there'll, there'll be another stretch where they, get it together they look they play you know Bledsoe Milton they get a, a very consensus uh not consensus they get a uh just a great team victory as like the Raptors one it, it just you never know with this team oh again, I agree with that I agree with that but what I'm saying is it's not it's not so much I mean if anyone as a fan individually is thinking okay well now the playoffs are in danger after a game like that I think that's an that's a step too far. You know, you're really overreacting. You're living too much in the moment. What I'm referring to more is to get that next great team victory. The books look like a team who are going to have to figure some things out mentally, you know, to get themselves in a position where if they're in that close game against the, the Pacers, you know, on Friday night, can they deliver? Well, they're going to have some real soul searching and some work to do on just how they approach things to be in a position just 48 hours later to get that kind of win. And like we talk about all this, like the Pacers just lost to the Hawks. Uh, maybe they're not in a great place. Maybe all it takes is a team to come in and just stink the place up and be even worse than the books. And all of a sudden you go, oh, hey, we got a win and everything's fine again. But it's, it's at a point in the season where, you know, like we talk about this being a team who are prone to runs. Like that's something that, to use the ultimate books cliche is in their DNA. And I think that's something that has to, they have to get rid of. Like yes. when they talk about everything that they are as a team. And when we come around to like media day and the start of a season, they talk about our goals for this year, or this our goals for the season or that. I honestly, I don't know if I care about win predictions and uh, you know, we want to be home court. We want to win the East. We want to do this next year. Just stop being a team that can roll off five losses and then roll off 10 wins, you know, yeah. Just just win two or three games. Make that. That's who you are. We're going to win two of every three games on average. I mean, like, last year, last March, I mean, they went on the on a run that vaulted him into the playoffs. They were 14-4, one of the, the best month in the franchise's history. I mean, like, even that, like, it just goes to show you, like, that. I agree with you in that, that sense of the mentality that this team has to shake where it doesn't have to – constantly constantly just seesawing back and forth throughout an 82 game season and even in the playoffs last year because I mean that's how that playoff series against the Raptors shook out but at the same time look at the stretch of games we talked about after the Pelicans game they <laughs> they had maybe an extra second that wasn't shaved off after Anthony Davis touched the ball we'd be talking about a two and two 
stretch from that point. We can even say if I, I Giannis think, is well, I think if, if they if they beat the Pelicans, this and this is who the team are, and we're talking about runs again, if they beat the Pelicans, if that jet shot is a second earlier and it counts, they beat the Wizards. No way they lose that game with the Wizards. Yeah, exactly. Game. It's just yeah. They would have got that lead, say, in the third quarter when they just kept getting up to it and not being able to get across because that is the team they are. But that's that's where I think there is valid cause for concern and where from inside the team and from inside Joe Prunty's staff, they've got to be focused on, okay, well, now we're in one of our bad ruts. That's like, how do we snap out of that as quickly as we can? Uh, Jim Paschke highlighted this on the broadcast of the Pistons game, and I, I had never thought of it in quite these terms, but I kind of found it very interesting. I think it would be a better way for the books to approach things, which was, you know, win every win two of three of your home games and half of your road games and you're a 50 win team. You know, yeah. that, that's your season. And that's a very simplified way to approaching things. I just don't, I don't know if the books are playing. They'll obviously always say publicly and Joe Prunty's quotes and the players are going to talk about, take things one game at a time. It doesn't feel like right now they're, taking things one game at a time because against the Pistons it looked like they were a team who felt like oh we we could have been right on top of the Cavs for third right now and we've just lost two games they looked demoralized and they looked ready to kind of give up as in what's the point when you know if they had their eyes on the tree seed in that way well then you know you're you're losing kind of focus on what the ultimate goal can be you can't be looking at the standings at this point of year and your opponents you've just got to take care of your own business and hope that all the rest of that shakes out the way you need to they've moved away from taking care of their own business it could cost them we'll see they need they need to snap out of it that's the one thing with so little time left you know one really bad run leaves you not a lot of time to have the corresponding good run that the books are used to so let's hope they they kind of click into gear but let's talk specifically about one of the players the player who has maybe been most discussed amongst the books community uh this season chris middleton I mean, we've talked plenty about Middleton this year, but I'm starting to feel some different trends coming into his game. And these are things that bother me a whole lot more than a lot of the issues that, I mean, probably 30% of the fan base have been up in arms about all throughout the year. I don't care as much about Middleton's shot selection as everyone else does. It's not single-handedly tanking the books, you know? Can Middleton have a better shot selection? Yes. It's like if we're building ideal versions of every players and you get into this game, it's like can Bledsoe have better shot selection? Could Giannis have a jump shot? Like guys are what they are to a degree. Okay. And I, I think that's something that is dangerous to get too far in the reads on. I, I will accept Middleton's tough shots. I'll accept them pretty easily because he does that better than almost anyone in the league. He's <laughs> that's not any form of, you know exaggeration he is one of the very best mid-range shooters percentage-wise in the nba so those tough shots that we all don't like he makes a very high percentage of them my problem is if we're playing that he is who he is game which is all often how i like to view players because i think you can just be asking too much and you're playing like fantasy basketball you're playing nba 2k if you get into a game of oh well this player could just change this you know <laughs> habits that are ingrained for 15 years a guy like middleton like was he 26 now 27 mm -hmm. 15 years isn't unrealistic you know from whatever age he hadn't just picked up a basketball but was doing playing basketball at a very competitive level if he has certain characteristics certain traits certain shots he takes you can't just be like 
you know what stop doing that because we'd prefer it might just be a little bit more efficient if you do this but looking at who he has been which is concrete which we can point to he's been a really good three-point shooter really really good three-point shooter in his career with the books before this season his worst three-point shooting season was 39.6 percent from deep every other year above 40 percent 41.4 40.7 last season 43.3 percent this year 34.3 percent we've discussed this we talked about it i mean maybe it was even last week pretty recently anyway in terms of you know his shot isn't falling he has spoken himself on the Howard Beck podcast about there are some things mechanically that he's not entirely happy with he feels like he's getting some unwanted spin on the ball he's been working on it but you know it's not all that easy to figure out I certainly wouldn't think that Middleton's shot is broken beyond repair but it's a very realistic thing that his shot may be Maybe broken as far as this season goes. If he has got something mechanically and it's come from, you know, whether it's related to how he may have adjusted his shot slightly since the injury or whatever it might be, you know, that's going to take some time. That's not going to take the kind of time where, you know, one day off mid-season, you go and you practice and it's gone because that was the case we'd already have seen it. With Middleton, we're seeing... A really kind of alarming trend, and I, I tweeted about this last night, but I, I think it was maybe most apparent in that Pistons game. He started to turn down open three-pointers. You know, he's he's averaging close to 3.6, or sorry, close to five three-point attempts per game on the season. A little bit over, I think. Last 15 games, which is basically since Jason Kidd was fired, that number has fallen to 3.6 attempts per game. If you want to go even more recently, slightly further down again, like last five, 3.4. It's one thing I'm not making the shot. And I, I've kind of given up on him making the shot at his usual rate this season. I think that's kind of gone now. We're, we're gone past that point. But with the makeup of the Bucks team, he needs to take the shot. Make or miss, he needs to take it because it's important for the guys around him. And I mean, the best example of this came... In the Wizards game, was it the Wizards game? It was when Tony Snell came out. I'll admit, I, I was critical of Prunty for this in the post game piece because at the time I didn't realize Snell was injured. Um, one of our one of my Twitter followers pointed this out to me that he was at the game and he felt Snell came out injured at that point, and that turned out to be true. But when Prunty took out with just over three minutes to go, Snell for Jabari, and we got Bledsoe, Middleton, Jabari, Giannis, Henson. What did the Wizards do? They packed the paint. Jabari has been shooting the ball really well from deep. In that situation, though, Jabari was reverting to his instincts. He wasn't standing on the perimeter being, you know, let me be the floor spacer. Bledsoe shot well from three recently. He wasn't standing on the perimeter being like, let me be the floor spacer. As a result, Giannis drove into traffic over and over again. The Bucks couldn't get anything to fall and... In reality, it wouldn't have taken much to fall to turn that game around and win it. And a big part of that problem is Middleton wasn't taking trees. Now, teams know he can make them. They, they're not worried about his bad season. They'll say, this is a guy who has five years of making that shot. This is a guy who has made really big shots when it mattered. 
they're going to respect him. Reputation. Right. If he stops taking it and he's stepping inside to kind of, he's not even taking mid-range shots. He's not stepping in and shooting the two. He's kind of stepping in and trying floaters from no man's land. That kills everything. And that to me is the trend that's starting to emerge at Middleton that I think the impact of that can't be overstated on Yanis when we're seeing a, a poor spell for Yanis or on getting the best out of Jabari because for all of those guys, you want Middleton out behind the three-point line. Doesn't have to make the shots, but you just have to make the opponents respect you enough that they can't pack the paint. They've got to go out and challenge you, leaving one less player in there that when Yanis drives or whatever, it, it gives you a chance to drag a double team over and then have Jabari open for his shot somewhere else. If everyone can play one-on-one and they can all fall back and allow you distance the paint, you don't have a chance in those situations. And we may not see much of that between now and the playoffs. Come the playoffs, we'll see that all the time. He's just got to take those shots. And for me, that that is of all of the things where everyone talks about, I can see his shot selection is poor. I can see his defense is not the level it used to be. None of those things bother me all that much. They're all individual things. They won't single-handedly kill the team. They might hurt the team. They won't bring the team down. If Middleton stops shooting trees and he has all of those other things to go with it, it doesn't matter that he's having a career best scoring year because his role in the team has to involve him creating space for others, even when the shot isn't falling. And to be fair to Middleton, I don't think that's just a selfish decision where he's like, I feel... I feel like this is me. I go here and I score. He clearly doesn't have the confidence in his three-point shot. But if that's the case, he needs his teammates. He needs his coaches to say, look, we believe in you. We want you to take that shot. Even if the shot doesn't fall, that's important to us. Teams know you can make it. You will make it if you keep putting yourself in the position to do it. Because even with that, I mean, if we are hoping there's some chance he finds a shot for the playoffs, that chance is going to be reduced very rapidly if he's not even taking shots in game. No, yeah, yeah I, I definitely agree with that. I think like many, I've been very frustrated with Milton because if you look at just, it's very easy to see where he's excelled and he has excelled in areas and he's having, you know, a career year in terms of scoring. But like you said, I mean, I think I, I I'm writing a piece on him. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to limit everything I have on my thoughts on Milton, but to back up your, you know, the wide open thing, he's shooting 32.6%, 33% on wide open looks this year. That's going to play into your mindset eventually. And we're seeing now, and he's not the only one to pass up three pointers. Sterling Brown has been doing that. And that has coincided with a cold stretch of three point shooting. But I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's very, Considering how last year really played out where he comes back and he just he served as like this rallying figure and he brought everything together um, when every, you know, all hope was lost. And I mean, we were talking about before the season, this could be this could be an all star year for Chris Middleton. It wasn't that crazy to say. And of course, he was. Jordan, that wasn't that crazy. It wasn't that crazy a month ago when guys are getting injured, and he was just, you know, having a thirty-eight percent three-point shooting year away, probably from getting that call. Uh, I don't know about that. The guys who got picked were not that much better. He was having when you're having a career high in terms of points per game. 
He didn't need a whole lot more. I mean, he probably could have done with the book's record being just a tiny bit better, too. That's, that's yeah. But uh, maybe the book's record would have been a tiny bit better if he was shooting 3% better <laughs> from deep. Yeah. Um, but I think I think there's a much more interesting discussion because, you know, this is this is happening. He's only what's crazy. He's only twenty six years old, but he's coming off a. He's still how we talk about Middleton now is not not necessarily the same since he was hurt because he has like the Bucks. He'll have these random stretches where he doesn't you know doesn't have a great stretch, and then he'll have pour it on in some some games, and he'll look automatic from you know just shooting the ball. But I think we're we're hitting an interesting point in his career where you know next year's going to be a free agent he's going to be impending free agent they're going to look for a new coach this year the summer everything can really dictate how they're they you know kind of reset their the culture the feeling around the uh, around the team and all that stuff and kind of propel them but i think at the same time there's going to be a lot of to go back to what we were talking about with you know mentality and trying to um you know break uh uh you know old habits i think i think middleton is the one for me where he's always been the sticking point of you know if he was just utilized better like you said before like if this is 2k you have him shoot more threes you don't have him have him be like this you know under the kid era of kind of setting up shop in mid-range areas which you know is more of uh not forbidden, but that's looked down upon uh, in this in this age of the NBA, and I think that has masked a lot of what Middleton is Middleton's tendencies and where he thinks his strong suits are in his game. Which, again, as he's showing this year, he's a really good mid-range shooter. But I don't know. There's it's it's there's it's a very weighty discussion to have about him because he it's. It's hard to take a lot of fault in the season besides his three-point shooting, but there's just something there that's missing in his all-around game that we have been used to seeing from him, and it's just very frustrating to watch this year. I think the most obvious thing to talk about is role, right? And we've talked about this before, if not on the podcast. I know, I know I've talked about this with countless people on Twitter about Middleton. It always comes up, but I've reached a point where I'm bored of talking about it. I mean, ideally, Chris Middleton, you tell him, look, you are best as a 3 and D guy and that's what you do and even if he can do that why should he be doing that right now why should he be able to do that how can we talk about the role of any player on this books team who isn't named Giannis and even his role isn't well defined he's the star that is his, you know you go do things is Giannis role has been for years still is now we don't know who they're going to go to what way they're going to do things in end the game situations it's 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 all kind of tied into a broader discussion where it's like, well, Middleton should play this role better, or he should know his role better. Well, how should he know his role better when he's hardly ever played with Jabari Parker? You know, <laughs> in the last eighteen months, they've hardly played together. Um, it's still like uh, twelve minutes him, Giannis, and Jabari have shared on the floor, right? Because they've been staggered since Jabari's come back. So it's been very rare for all three of those guys to get the floor together. Throw into that mix Bledsoe. Now, we still haven't had never removed Bledsoe, who's just here this year, but we've never had Middleton, Brogdon, Giannis, Jabari on the floor together. 
So where, do, where does Brogdon fit in? Is Brogdon the bench guy or is he going to start when he comes back? What's Tony Snell's role? Because I'll be honest, I don't think Tony Snell knows anymore. How can you know all these things when you don't know who your next coach is going to be? When all the patterns in your play have been pretty erratic for quite a while now because you had a coach who liked to act erratically and now you've got an interim coach who's you know, trying to just kind of caretake and also maybe just maximize things, keep things simple. That was the directive. We know that for a fact, but mm. it's also possibly the best way for Pronti to have a real shot at this job. But with all of that, where does, where does role come into it as a player? Like, how can you say to Milton, Oh, you just need to play here. I don't think any of these guys know their role. And it's with good reason because they don't get a chance to play together because injuries have prevented that. And now they don't have a, they don't know who their coach is going to be. Like, what do you teach Milton about a role now that may not be his role next year? A new coach could come in and be like, you know what, I don't like Middleton. You know, I, I feel we'd be better approaching this game with this kind of player at that spot. The front office might agree he could be traded in the summer. New coach would come in and be like, I think he's the, the key to us winning a championship. I want to make him a more central part of the team in building his role to be the role that most maximizes his skills. We don't know which path that takes. And the players can't know what way things are to be played out because, you know, they haven't had a chance to do it. Like when I talk about Middleton's three-point percentage dropping, to me, it very much looks like a drop in confidence. And the numbers, the evidence is there to suggest that, like, there's good reason for that. Someone could put that to Middleton and he could just sneer at it. He could be like, I'm as confident as ever. And he, he could genuinely mean it. Maybe his numbers are dropping because he's spending some time with Jabari, you know, and Jabari's getting more shots and there's less opportunity for him now. Like, and you don't know who's to have what shot when, like these aren't things that's necessarily easy to blame on anyone either. Like there's a lot of things that I would very easily say, okay, this is Jason Kidd's fault. This is Jason Kidd's fault has been for years. The effects are still there now. Maybe it's now Joe Prunty's fault, but the groundwork was laid. There are lots of things where I can say that. Roles are difficult because there's the element which is dictated by the coaching staff and then there's the element that's been dictated by the book's bad fortune. And this is so much of what we talked about in terms of particularly this final spell of the year being so crucial for the decisions the books make about their future because, you know, we've got a chance to see everyone together except we spent all that time talking about it and then Brogdon got injured just before it could happen. So you can't nail in roles when you don't know who's best in what kind of combination. Like the, the books will have to make their decision on Jabari. And honestly, with how he's played so far, I think there's less thinking to do on that decision. I think it's a pretty, from my perspective, it's a pretty simple decision. You bring Jabari back, but they're going to have to make decisions on that without having any sort of meaningful sample size of, oh, well, what would I say? A Bledsoe Brogdon, Middleton, Yanis, Henson lineup with Jabari on the bench look like? Or do we bring Jabari back into the lineup and one of those other guys goes to the bench as a sixth man? We just don't have any sort of evidence. We don't have a sample size to track that from. We don't have anything to point to to say, you know, that's why you should play this way or that's why you shouldn't play that way. And so getting into the, you know, this guy should play in this particular way it's very easy for us to say, it's very easy for us to correctly identify in looking at how the team's approaching games. That doesn't make it any less easier for the players 
any more easier, I should say, for the players themselves to go out and say, okay, well, my role is this, because roles have been constantly in flux with this team for, I mean, the best part of 18 months. If we're being generous, you could go longer. You could go back to back to the first ACL for Jabari. That's a pretty tough spot the books find themselves in. Moving on to something that emerged as a pretty big storyline in the last 48 hours or so. Um, that was a report from a certain reporter that Mirza Toledovic was set to retire from professional basketball due to his current battle with pulmonary emboli. Um, it was not something that I was particularly bought on. We didn't we didn't bite on it. I should say we didn't really go and do anything in terms of covering it as a site because I feel like we know and most people should know by now who to listen to and who not to listen to in regard to the books. But still, what happened as a result was we got a nice little clip of Mirza and we got a tweet which basically let us know that he is working back toward playing again. He certainly hasn't made any decisions about bringing his career to an end. What are your thoughts on all of this without getting into, I mean, the report element of it first? Uh, we don't need to touch that. That is what it is. We make an effort not to use certain names in this podcast over the years, and we might as well keep that up. But neither of us would be particularly surprised if eventually this is the case. So what do you make of it coming about in this way and Mirza being forced into responding to it? I think you, we've discussed this privately, and you have a perspective on it that is maybe a little bit interesting and isn't being talked about a whole lot in the wider book's consciousness right now. Yeah, a lot of it is just, a lot of people are, you know, do it cut and dry looking at the financials of it. And obviously there is, because considering the cap situation and considering the gravity of his condition, uh, come... Whenever the last game he played, I think it was, is it November 17th? That's the date that's sticking out in my head for some reason. Sounds about right. Um, it has to be around there. Actually, no, it might be earlier because he never played with Bledsoe, if I remember correctly. So it might be even earlier than that. Um, anyway, uh, that is when, that's a year point, And if he hasn't played at that point, come you know, seven months from now, my math may be wrong, eight months from now, whatever it is, uh, the Bucks can take him off the salary. His 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 money wouldn't be Are you uh, tied sure to that's how it works? Is it not a year? Well, it's a a, year from, from that books, perspective. Is it not a year from the Bucks applying to have it removed from their salary? That's my understanding of it. So it would be whenever... My understanding is basically we're coming very close to a point where it's never coming off because you'd be a free agent before you'd actually get it. That was that was how I saw it, and pretty much based on how long that process took for the Heat with Bosch. Yeah, but a year a year still has to pass, and then you go from there. How you want to? Oh, play okay. That. Sorry. So you're saying it's not. That's the point where those discussions become relevant, or you become eligible to explore those kind of options. Yeah, Offi- officially. Yeah, I and I'm I- I'm glad that you just opened with that anyway, because 
I had to just keep putting my phone down to not get involved with all of the, and apologies to anyone who's offended by this, but moronic tweets about this yesterday when this was swirling around. One for taking that report as fact. That was, I mean, never a great look, but bit more so than that was everyone being like, okay, now what do we do with this cap space we've got? Doesn't work like that. It really doesn't work like that. There is there is really no win for the books in Mirza having to retire because that money is gonna sit completely dead. Even if they if they get out, they'll get out the tiniest bit early, as in maybe after the trade deadline next season. You know that's that's kind of where they're going unless they negotiate a buyout, which that's not so great either. The best case for the books would have been, you know, the Mirza who started this season being healthy for all of this year then having trade value or being healthy for two years and being a valuable a valuable asset because I think we're at the start of the year we're like okay well this Mirza can work or maybe they could move this guy as an expiring I'm not sure any team wants him now because you're taking on a massive risk in terms of whether you get anything out of it either so that's nonsense get get over that if you think oh Mirza's 10 million is about to be freed up that helps us re-sign Jabari and stay under the tax or we can go and do this no, doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that in the slightest. So, what all books fans should be rooting for, I mean, first on a human level, and for a guy who plays for the team, is for Mirza to get fully healthy and be able to live his normal life at a minimum. If he can play basketball again, that would be even better. But that's it. Because otherwise, you're looking at a process that takes a long time and will bring them very close to when Mirza will be a free agent anyway, before they could get relief, where at that point it wouldn't even be worth their while. Yeah, and that's that brings to the you know more relevant situation because considering he had to speak out against uh, an erroneous report, possibly. Um, it's still out of Mirza's hands. His recovery can go fine and well. He could he could be close to fit to play, but he still has to get cleared by doctors. Considering this is, if something goes wrong, this is there are grave you know consequences. You can easily die. I mean, if you I remember following the boss situation, and I think it's. I think a lot of that honestly didn't get the attention it deserved because there's a lot of more consequences and Bosch was even trying to play uh, in the playoffs that year with the Heat in 2016, which was a couple months after he, you know, this issue resurfaced, much like Mears' first time, first go around where he was out for like three months or something like that and then came back to play with the Nets in the playoffs. Um, that, that much is clear. That is the biggest be the biggest obstacle and where uh Mirza's wishes to come back to play is that he has to get cleared by doctors and it's not going to just be one it's not going to be two it's going to probably be by committee because again there's just it's it can be a matter of life or death if this really comes up again and the fact that it was coming i mean if i remember correctly this is you know just a couple months ago it wasn't like this resurfaced. It, it was much resurfaced out of the blue because he was already hurt with his, like some. Oh, it's it's not out of the blue at all. I mean, it's if you have lower lower limb surgery, if you have you've any surgery, but more prevalent obviously on any surgery on your legs, your feet, because 
you're going to be immobile in some way or your leg is going to be, you're at a greater risk of blood clots, you know, and having issues with that. It's it's no different than if you're going on a long-haul flight because you're not going to move very often. People wear flight socks to avoid DVT. It's basically an extension of that because obviously if you're having surgery and you're going to have to, whatever, have your have your feet in one position or you're not going to be at your usual level of activity. Everyone is naturally at a higher risk. So the surgery for Mirsa would have been quite high risk. That would have been a decision the books would have considered. It would have been something Mirsa would have had to think about. The surgeon would have. And they all obviously decided, okay, we're going to go ahead with this anyway. And then obviously as he started to get back towards some activity, although he was in very early stages after that arthroscopy, this happened. So... I mean, I think that's important, first of all, is it's not very much out of out of the blue. This is 100% the result of him having surgery. I mean, the books, yeah. the books will never word it like that because that's then, well, why did you make the guy have surgery at that Why'd point? Why did you elect it? Why yeah. didn't you look at non-surgical options a little bit more closely? But that is that is how that would have gone out. Mirza would have, like any surgery, he would have signed some sort of, you know, some sort of form before his surgery to say okay this is this is something that could happen and once you've had the condition that he's had once once he suffered from pulmonary emboli before he was always going to be more likely to suffer again and i mean that's very much the the tricky part is uh, is when you mentioned bosch what age is bosch now 32 31 even 33 probably actually probably 34 he he was 31 or 32 when he stopped playing right yeah Like, like i mean Bosch was never really a guy who had injuries either. No. It's very simple. If you look at why is Chris Bosch a Hall of Famer whose game actually probably would have aged very well because of his oh, shooting it was, ability. It already was after LeBron left. I mean, he was really well, like really good. He was taking up the first option role much better, or even maybe not quite, but he would have eventually. I mean, he would be in the league right now on a really good team with a big role if any team felt that was a risk worth taking. And the reason they don't is because, as you've said, this isn't just, oh, he might get injured again. This is a matter of life and death. This is, he doesn't have this exact scenario. He says, okay, I feel okay. He might feel okay now, but if he goes and suffers a knee injury tomorrow and he needs surgery, there may be complications. It's not, even, it's not even just that. I mean, he could get smacked in the in the head or something, and it could be... You know, as something as that, where there, it, there's I a mean, whole variety. I mean, it, you're just you're bringing a level of risk into play that just, I mean, it's not worth it. You're talking about basketball. We're talking about professional sports, and I, I think Bosch is the great example because of how good he is. Mirza is not at that level, but if you look at how good Bosch is, Bosch still talks about it, you know wants to play, yeah. wanted to play. He would have no end to callers if any NBA team felt that was a risk worth taking. And it's as simple as, you know, they could consult any any expert in that field and they'd say, is this a good idea? And the response they get is, no, the best solution would probably be not to do it. Now, that doesn't mean that Bosch couldn't be cleared just like Mirza couldn't be cleared. They can, but that's not a very simple path to that happening. There's a lot going on there. So it's good to hear that Mirza is well and that he's progressing well. He's working his way back. It's still a very complex situation. Uh, for someone to have gone through that twice, I mean, uh, I guess the only bonus is in this, the second time it was detected pretty early and pretty easily, where the first time when it wasn't a known condition, 
like as the story goes and it's there for anyone to read it i believe there's a new york daily news might be a new york post profile with the nets trainer at the time i mean he was checked out in the hospital and was basically given the all clear to to go on and the trainer said no i don't feel right about this where if he had gotten on a flight he probably would have died in that plane you know that that's the level of seriousness we're talking about here and again things like flying are a major a major risk factor i mean what is he gonna do if he's gonna be the mpa he's gonna be flying twice a week you know this isn't just any old normal routine so there's a long road back maybe that news ultimately becomes true but i think the thinking it would be that simple to begin with is just where the kind of flaw is. I would have been surprised to see it come to a conclusion that soon. I won't be surprised if that's ultimately the conclusion it comes to, but there's no reason for it to benefit the books for that decision to be made right now. And Mirs is not going to want to just give in to that right now. He's naturally, he's a basketball player. That's what he does. So he's going to want to give himself every chance to get back to doing what he has done his entire life. So I think there may still be a disappointing end to the story, but... I think where you're coming from, what you expressed to me privately, is like if Bosch's case and the general just murkiness of how a player will feel versus what medical experts will say in this whole situation is to be considered. Like this is this is kind of a messy, a messy medical condition for a basketball team to be dealing with. There can be real room for dispute between player and team and medical staff on all of this in the time ahead. Yeah, and uh, I mean, if people are wondering about you know what to do with Mirza's salary and stuff like that, look at Bosch's scenario. The guy was on a four-year max contract, mm-hmm. and that I mean, that's another. How do you wasn't do he negotiations? in year one or at the end of year one as well? Year one was the first time it happened. Then year two, obviously. So I mean, yeah, there's a there for it may be new to Bucks fans and all that, but there is certainly a, a recent precedent of just how this will honestly likely go because it's just it's more than just cut and dry wipe your hands of it of oh, okay we can you know take off Mears' money he's not gonna play again it's like no that's yeah that. and i mean <laughs> this isn't even this isn't even jabari where you go oh if he tears his acl again his career's done we're, we're talking about someone's actual life you know their long-term health not just their career which as serious as it is for someone's career to come to an end we're talking a different level here so yeah, something to watch out for, but a long road ahead, and everyone should just forget about that. Well, what can we do with Mirza's salary if he retires now? Nothing. It's not happening. Um, honestly, I don't think that will be a concern the books won't have until you know until he'd be a free agent. And there's no reason for Mirza to retire before that either. Remember, he wants all his money. So I think this will play out pretty much over the course of the next year. Best case scenario, and let's hope that's how it plays out, is Mears is on the floor next year, and he's contributing. Who knows? Maybe he's back this year, but none of that is as important as, you know, getting it all right. Okay, Jordan, let's go into the mailbag. From at Alex underscore Koenig 023. This past stretch of game since Prunty took over has been really easy, and realistically, the books should have had a similar record even with Kidd. With that being said, do you think the books chose to fire Kid before he could go on a run like this and save his job? Um, potentially, but I also think you know we don't really know 
what happened on that Monday. We know there's a there's rumblings of a blow up, but I mean, I don't think I don't think it was a premeditated thing. It was like, okay, this schedule is going to start getting easier. Let's you know, show them the door. I think something else prompted that to act fast and fire him four hours before uh, that night's game. Yeah, we know for as much as the the ownership collectively may have been unsure of kid for quite a while. There was at least one holdout in terms of, you know, let's fire him now. And something happened to make that one holdout be like, yeah, let's fire him now. So that's tough to say. I think what the the guts of what you're saying is probably true, Alex. But I think you're framing it in a way that they wouldn't have considered it. I don't think they would have been worried about Kid going on a good run to save his job. If he goes on a good run, well, then he doesn't have to worry about saving his job if given the time. And if you ever reach that point, well, then you just fire the coach. If you're worried about your coach winning games, you have to keep him. That's when you fire him. Maybe that's what happened. That's what Horst basically said to the effect. If something's inevitable, you do it. Maybe that's basically what that means. I I think a better way of framing it, and more realistically, the way the ownership may have considered it is, this was a good spell to have a fresh start with, you know, a good spell if Prunty's going to take charge or if they, at that point, did initially consider maybe we bring someone else in straight away, that was a good spell to get someone in for. So maybe the main point of what you're saying is true, but I think it would have been approached from a different angle that would have come with the same result. From at I'm the second S underscore Curry, will the books make the playoffs? Yes. Yes. From at Forest Voyager sixty nine, why does Zeller play so little? Uh, it's an interesting question. I mean, he had started to get real minutes and play quite well before the break. He then had gastroenteritis coming back from the break, so he missed the game through illness. We don't know if there are after effects, maybe limiting him since. I mean, all I'd say is he should have had all Tom's minutes against the Pistons. Literally all of them. I mean, just... <laughs> I don't know what Ton was gaining from that experience. Ton had one rebound in, like, 18 minutes. It's like, you want to look at the rebounding differential at the end and your backup center had that. Uh, Zeller wasn't great when he came into the game. He dropped a couple of passes. He had four points and four boards in, like, 12 minutes or 11 minutes. So, you know, I... I, I think he should have more minutes. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we see him more as the season gets closer or even if that just happens in the playoffs. There may be a point where, you know, the books are happy to go with Ton and roll with Ton. And then if in the playoffs Ton is costing them in any sort of burst, they'll change it. You know, say if the books got the heat in the first round of the playoffs and you're going up against the Sam Whiteside in the series, I, I bet development will become less important than putting Zeller on Whiteside over Ton, you know? From at Robert underscore... Z77. Parker becomes starter before end of season, question mark, at small forward, question mark. Middleton back to shooting guard, even though Middleton's slow plotter now. Or Yanis to center full time. My guess is somebody will get traded next summer or next trade deadline. Uh, Yanis is not playing center full time now or ever in his career. Anthony Davis won't play center. So Yanis is never playing center. Um, He should play there in bursts, but that's not the same thing as saying oh you know the way you're starting you know the way you're struggling with your knees how about you deal with bigger guys every night at center um parker becomes started for the end of the season i say no 
I don't think yeah, so. Maybe they will so. just to get a look at it because again, they're just trying to figure things out, but I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. And if he does start, it would be at small forward because Yanis is the four and they're not playing without a traditional center in terms of a starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the your guess that somebody will get traded next summer or the next trade deadline, I feel like that's a pretty safe guess because the books are going to be in a position from here on in where they're always looking to do something. So, yeah, I'd say odds are between next summer or the next trade deadline, they will trade someone and will possibly look to make a big move. It, it, I mean, all signs would point to that making sense, so I can't disagree with that. Um, from at older underscore potato, had to turn off the Pistons game due to sadness, but I heard DJ got some run. Did he look like a basketball player, or is he more human victory cigar still? Well, he's, that, I mean, he's certainly not the not victory, victory cigar. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> they don't tend to roll him out in victories. The books don't have blowout victories as much as close victories and blowout defeats. Um, yeah, I don't have anything good to report on DJ's, on DJ's eight minutes. Unfortunately, there was nothing good to report about any of those guys. I hoped Xavier Mumford would have a good few minutes. He didn't. Uh, I guess Sterling Brown had his best few minutes, but that's not all that positive considering he started that his best few minutes came in garbage time. Uh, yeah, it wasn't good from DJ, really. Nope. <laughs> from Mike Bo Sports, what player do you think has shown the most progress since Prunty has been hired? Um, I think Progress might not be the right word. We're going with the same player here then, I think, which would be Sterling Brown because he's had more no. opportunity. No? No. Okay. Let me hear yours. Well, I'm just... I'm going to go from who's looked the best since Prunty is taken over, and it's Bledsoe. That's true. Yeah? But in terms of progress... I I think that's more to do with... I think, like we've seen, he's played well since the All-Star break, too. Um, And the books did have a nice break in the schedule before the All-Star break, too. Didn't they have, like, a three or four day off? thing i feel like just a week before i at least remember having some more time off so i'm pretty confident they did maybe he's just healthier or maybe he's just more comfortable like i mean there's lots of reasons for him but yeah you're not wrong on that i think in terms of progress uh i think sterling brown has looked a lot better since then but he got very little opportunity until they had a kid's time jet has certainly played better ton has played better overall as much as say last night was awful but Ton, Ton has just been more aggressive, I think, as a, in terms of offensively. I think that's the biggest thing. He's not like he's had everything going on all ends of his game. I think he's just been scoring more. But Zeller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the most obvious answer is maybe our guys that progress wouldn't be the right word for. Yeah. Um, from a nihilist underscore books. Has Adam come around to the sensible point of view yet? Despair is our only friend in this fandom. I mean, it's not great right now, but I'm going to hang on to some optimism. I mean, they've got Yanis. Jabari's looking really, really good. They've still got all those talented pieces. Whether, if you know, if Middleton and Bledsoe aren't the right guys, well, then you can you have Middleton and Bledsoe to bundle in a trade next season. That's not something that other teams necessarily have. So... No, Nihilist Books, I'm going to continue to fight you even though I'm not enjoying the last few days. From Atsuka Mint, 
What steps can Prunty take to improve the team over the last stretch of the season? Brogdon and Delhi will help, obviously. Uh, Delhi will help. I mean, I don't want to kind of get too into it, but who knows when and if we see Brogdon. We're not getting the updates on Brogdon. We're not seeing Brogdon working out and being like, oh, Brogdon's two weeks away now, which the timeline would have him being. I mean, look to San Antonio if you want an idea of how messy that injury can be. I yeah. hope Brogdon will be back. It will be a really big blow if he's not. Um, I don't know. I the Pronti can improve the team if he could make them be more consistent, but I don't think that's very simple because this team has struggled with that for a long time. And if he holds the key to making them more consistent, he probably should have piped up from the back of the room when he was assistant to Jason Kidd for all those years. You know, I... It's tough. I think there's certain things. Maybe he was during those film sessions, and maybe he was. Maybe he was one of the ones piping up. Um, Have you won a championship? <laughs> uh, Actually, that he can repeat that because he has. He has, the, yeah. The Suck it, kid. I hope that's really what happened. Is that Pronti said? Well, actually, I have, and I've won it as a coach. Yeah. John Horace, take him out of here, and he you know, gets hauled off the bag over its head. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen kids since he got fired, have we? I mean, why would we? Where are we? This is just ending give him like a couple season of, four. Give him a couple of weeks, this... and he'll be like in the second row behind Jeff Hornacek in Madison Square Garden, sitting ominously, or behind Jay Triano in Phoenix. Did you see? This is off topic, but did you did you read? I believe it's Mitch Lawrence's Sporting News. I didn't read it. I knew there was lots of stuff, but I didn't read it. I was I was hoping it's when I saw the Suns thing, I was like, oh, please be. Please, please, they kid. And it wasn't there. Name names. But I, anyway, I, I, I'm starting to play out a scenario where Jason Kidd was hauled off from the Bucks facility like Jack Bauer at the end of season four. When he, I think it's something that he gets like taken to China. This actually might be season five. Either way, 24 fell off, man. God bless it. From Atsuka Mint. <laughs> Which book's owner rings the bell first? Hashtag for whom the bell tolls. The bell in question is a modified version of the famed Yanis bell that Succamint has, I would say, photoshopped, but that would be very generous considering the work done here. The bell reads, Jordan, ring for Brandon Jennings. Yeah, no, I'm not. I, I would normally play along with this, but let's... No. Um, if if one of the owners rings the bell, Joe Pronti should instruct John Horse to carry him off with a bag over his head. <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> he just whis- he does the he whistles with two two his two pinky fingers <laughs> in his mouth, and then someone <laughs> then he does like a gesture to call him in. Yeah. I don't think they can actually do this, but. And long-time listeners, you'll understand just how strongly I feel when I put it this way. So even if it's just for effect, it will work. I would rather the books bring back Rashad Vaughn this season than bring Brandon Jennings in. That's the le- <laughs> that's the level we're talking about here. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to proclaim that uh, to make your voice heard because that is quite a statement. I had to say so myself. There you go. It's out there now. I mean, the guy is like. He's averaging six turnovers per game in the G League, right? 
might even be uh, more. I think it was eight, six point three. Eight two. So I actually I think six six over three is or eighteen over three six obviously. Okay. Good uh, math lesson I'm giving everybody. Six turnovers per game in the G League. Yeah. His percentages aren't all that spectacular. I mean, I, why am I even taking this seriously? The guy is not an NBA player anymore. It's not necessarily through any fault of his own. It's His body has failed him, like others. We've talked about this. You can't have the injury he's had and come back easily. He's been in the league for a long time. He has got a lot of miles on the clock considering his age. I mean, it's tough, but even if he didn't have that, why do we have conversations about people don't like Eric Bledsoe and look how efficient he is and what he's doing at the moment and they want Brandon Jennings in to be... <laughs> To be the backup? Yeah. I'd rather see yeah. Delhi play 48 minutes a game than see Brandon Jennings step foot on a court for the books. Get ready for game four against the Wizards come mid-April. From at David Dunn 21. There was a point in the early aughts when Brett Favre was an incredible playmaker and Almond Green, is that right? Almond Green? Almond, I, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. A-H-M-A-N? A H M A. Oh, Amon. Amon okay. Green. Amon Green was a dominant force. I assume he's also a Packer. Am I right in that? Yeah, he was the running back. Okay. But the team couldn't win with both of them making turnovers. In a similar fashion, previous books teams could absorb big dog turnovers if Gasell was playing flawlessly or vice versa, but not if both were playing sloppy. Your question of the week in David Dodd21's inimitable grandiose fashion is Eric Bledsoe the indispensable wild card we should ride the roller coaster with or not is he Brett Favre or is he Amon Green well he doesn't wear those pat Amon Green was famous for wearing these uh they weren't elbow pads they were kind of like forearm pads and he had fumbling issues and when it was like a wet, I mean, it's Green Bay, it's it's going to rain, it's going to snow. And when he's wearing those, like it, you could see it like he's trying to, you know, keep the grip of the ball. And it would just be up against his forearm pad and he'd lose control of the ball and it'd be a fumble. And then, you know, possession shifts the other way. I said before, I, I mean, I'm still, I, for whatever reason, I know this, I I guess I'm going to have a scarlet letter on my my chest or something. I'm pro Eric Bledsoe. I will take all the wild card roller coaster, uh, you know, whatever happens. Um, because yes, even when he is playing really good games, he'll have questionable shot making or not making shot taking. I should say sometimes. Um, sometimes he makes them. Those free throw. Those like you know trying to bait the official to get free throws. I mean those aren't aesthetically pleasing to the naked eye. Um, but he's doing very well. I don't know what is, I mean, for whatever reason, we let a lot of, maybe it's about never being good. It's about not being good. Having no idea. Most people not even being alive when the books last won a championship that are talking about this in social media. Yeah. (laughs) Not even just a championship, a playoff series. (laughs) That is true for a lot, for a lot of books fans. I mean, there is something to this. I, I'll say, and we discussed this in the podcast before, I'm I'm not completely sold on Bledsoe. I think there may be there may be value in considering moving Bledsoe before the end of his contract. 
who knows that's up for the books to explore and the books to see well what are the offers what sort of things can happen what can you get back all of that could be taken into account what i will say and it applies to bledsoe it applies to middleton jabari it's like the whole like carousel that books fans want to go through of oh well this guy isn't the perfect fit but then you know what happens if the books get rid of bledsoe it's like someone else who won't be a perfect fit and Everyone will be saying, oh, they just need a they need a faster point guard who can get his own shots and he can get to the basket and things like that. And you're like, oh, okay, so they need Eric Bledsoe. It's, it's, I mean, we can't do this forever. You're not going to have a perfect team. The idea of the perfect team is breaking me day by day at the moment because it's like Middleton doesn't take the right shot. Bledsoe doesn't take the right shot. I don't disagree with that. The problem is... Give me, name more than two teams that are constructed in a way where you're like, well, there's no one doing the wrong thing. Even saying two teams might be generous because there will be guys in those teams that are it's not necessarily starters, but rotation guys who come in and do the wrong things at times. It's just, this is not, it's not a perfect science. You it's know? not a it's, simulation. It's like, this is, it's, it's a very tiresome way of looking at it. I don't get it from any sport because... You don't have to be the perfect team to win a championship, to win anything in any sport. Sometimes just kind of things break your way, you know? It's just about getting what you can and making that work. Not everything is going to be a seamless fit. Guys might have to adjust eventually. It's very difficult to know all of that. I Like, this is kind of a, a difficult conversation in terms of Bledsoe or Middleton style as two guys who are often talked about in this way. When, again, we don't know who the coach is next year and what way they want to play. You know, you don't know all those things, what can you do? We don't technically know if they'll have Jabari Parker next year. So how do we know what they'll want out of Bledsoe, what they'll want out of Middleton when a, a fully healthy Jabari Parker, if he was back and he's locked in long term, he may be the second most important player and then they're deferring to him. That will depend on who a coach is and what they decide. Um, right now he's playing great. That's what I'll say about Bledsoe. So if what he's doing right now continues, I mean, there could be no way that people could be criticizing him. But on Books Twitter, they always find a way, you know. Books Twitter finds a way. Goldblum. Jordan, that does it for us for this episode. Hopefully next time we record, the books will have broken out of their funk and have given us at least one win, preferably two, to discuss. In the meantime, while you're waiting on that, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, and add us on Stitcher. Also, favor us on TuneIn Radio. Doing one or all of those things will make sure that you don't miss a future episode of Winning Six. You can also read mine, Jordan, and the rest of our team's writing on the books. Also, the Wisconsin Herd on BehindTheBookPass.com. Lastly, follow us on Twitter at WinIn6Podcast. Jordan and I are also on Twitter. I'm at AdamMcGee11. Jordan is at Jordan Tresky. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.